Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast, where I bring to you part one of an interview with Irene Lyon. She is an expert in the nervous system, somatic work, movement, and regulation, so basically trauma in the human body. And it is rare for me to meet someone who I relate so well with on both a personal and professional level. So I am so excited to bring this episode to answer the question, who all really needs to do trauma work? This podcast is broken into four sections. Section one, we talk about raising a human. We have lost our intuition on how to raise a human life. Section two, I'm going to introduce to you an important element, this functionally frozen state and how that relates to childhood. Section three, we talk about when we started numbing what we feel. Section four introduces something called the continuum theory, something that I have brought into my own curriculum in my attachment and neurodevelopment module in the certification course for professionals. To help us answer the question of who really needs to do trauma work and to make this episode very real for you, I asked Kelsey if she would share her story with you. And she will say the exact moment when she realized she needed to do trauma work. And then we will go right into the first section with Irene talking about the raising of human life and have we lost our intuition. Hi, everybody. My name is Kelsey Budge. I am currently a mentor for Dr. Amy's 21-Day Journey and the All Parts of Me course. I am a military spouse, and I'm just a lover of nature. I spend as much time outside as I can, and I'm also a doula and a personal trainer. So I'm loving being able to start to blend all of these different modalities together and really seeing a lot of results from it. I felt like I had a really good childhood. And now I can go back and say, oh, you know, there are some things, <laughs> some bumps in the road here, but I'm not stuck in that spot. Trauma came into my awareness when unfortunately my mother passed away and I realized just how codependent I was with her. There are going to be many people who are listening to this and they are not recognizing that they have any trauma in their life and they don't understand why something like somatic work would be beneficial to them. So could you, (laughs) could you break it down in terms of the societal rules, these patterns that get established Mm -hmm. in our nervous system and we don't even realize it because it's on such a subconscious level. Yeah, but yeah. they're influencing all of all of what's happening inside of our body, even to the types of diseases that we're developing and types of uh, imbalances in our biology. Yeah. So break it down for us, Irene. It's a big topic. Um, so I'm going to start with a, a metaphor or an analogy, if you will, just to put people into this mindset. So if we think about animals in the wild, um, and I'll pick a few like bears and wolves and mammals specifically, if we were to be on, say, the North American continent where you and I are, we've got, you know, wolves and bears and deer, that kind of thing. And if we were to go to, say, Russia, 
There would also be wolves and bear. I'm not sure if they have deer there, but something similar. So what's interesting is that if we think of those animals in the wild, when mama bear pops out her baby cubs, she treats them probably, we can pretty much agree with this, the same way Russia mama bear treats her cubs. There's just this natural biological instinct. Um, granted, of course, and this goes to some sidebars, it, the, the babies are fine. They're healthy. We do know that if a, a baby cub or a baby animal is born and it's severely defected, we know that the mother will leave will leave it. And it's sad for us as humans, but she knows that it won't survive in the wild and it's better to leave it to die. Kind of a weird way to start, but that's the truth. And so um, with these natural births in the wild with the, within that animal kingdom, there's no question about how do I take care of this healthy cub? You know, whether she's a Russian bear or a Canadian bear or an American bear, they're just doing it based on the innate and I'll even say unconscious wiring in their DNA to lick, to take care, to protect, to feed, to defend, to teach. And then there comes a point where they leave. You know, there's like, okay, you're independent. You know how to do the things that bears do. And then they go off and they do their, their own thing. There's no bear manual. There's no, uh, you know. Bear school. Bear school. There's no book. Curriculum. <laughs> what you expect when you're expecting for the bear mama. Like, it's just in them, right? Mm-hmm. I think you'd agree with that. Yes, it's Humans. programmed into their biology, and it's not something they have to learn. It's it's just there. It's just there. And it's fascinating when you really think about it, how it is really just there. Humans, we're a little different, right? And, I mean, how I was raised is, is different how my husband, who's sitting downstairs, was raised, to how our neighbors were raised, to you were raised, it, even to my how my parents were raised. And this poses a real conundrum because we have in us the DNA, the script, the biology that does know unconsciously how to take care of our little babies, but we've gotten so far off that path that we're scrambling in a way to figure out the best way to raise a human. My childhood was very seemingly normal. Um, we grew up in a, I'd say an upper middle class family and we were able to take trips and I just remember going to Hawaii and that was like my place and we'd go to Disneyland, you know, we did a lot of fun things. And I think sometimes looking back on my memories and the pictures that kind of overshadowed the the day to day living And I feel like my first three years of life while learning from the attachment module, you know, just culturally how we take care of babies, you know, it wasn't the best for my development, but I really think those zero to three years were my better years amongst my um, time with my parents. You know, I don't remember, I can't really put my finger on it. Maybe my mom had postpartum depression with my brother But I feel like at that three-year-old mark is where things started to go downhill in regards to our family dynamic. I feel like I didn't develop that confidence in myself. I didn't believe in myself because she was always correcting me or saying, not trusting me to do things. Um, And I was, you know, a, a really good kid. And maybe that was partly from her shutting me down early on. I don't know. But um, just knowing who I am now, 
I feel like it was mostly just her trying to control the situation. And yeah, I persisted into my 20s, not really believing in myself and keeping my voice to myself. And just saying that now is like, oh, it's already bringing up something in my chest. For Kelsey, the fun, the trips overshadowed the day-to-day living. And yet that day-to-day living is what affects us the most. That is what becomes our nervous system moving into the rest of our life. And in this second section with Irene, we go into this concept of being functionally frozen and the true roots of this. I agree. A lot of people will be like, I don't have any trauma. And I I hear that. I mean, I've seen hundreds of intake forms when I was in private practice, like any traumatic experiences. It's kind of like a, it's almost like a bait question. Because if someone says, no, no trauma at all, then I know usually that there is something, but they're just not aware of it. And that's okay. Because we think of trauma as big accidents or coming back from war or, you know, huge um, abuses and adversities and injustices. But really, if we think about, let's say, um, when we're little and we have to um, go to the bathroom. So we're old enough now to, to say, mom, I got to go pee or school teacher, I need to go. And we're told that we're not allowed to because class isn't over yet. Or, um, busy, she's on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or someone's already in the bathroom, so you can't go. Um, or I'm hungry. Yeah. Usually when a kid says they're hungry young, young enough and they are hungry, no, dinner's not ready yet. We have to eat at these times. Now, many people would think, well, what's the big deal with that? You know, the, of course the child's not going to die if they don't eat for an hour. Of course, if they have to go to the bathroom and they don't get it, they're going to soil themselves and that is, you know, embarrassing and pending how that's dealt with. So we have these interesting kind of rules and things because it's not even just conditioning. It's like these things. It's very complex word things, but we have these things that we do that we don't even realize are, and it's not harmful, but it is stopping that little human animal that is immature. It's stopping their natural flow. Literally, mm-hmm. if we think about needing to urinate or defecate and mm-hmm. the energy needs and what they're feeling in their body, right? Their emotions. Right. Here, they, right. here they've communicated that they have a need. And rather than being met with understanding and a solution and yeah. they're being met with being turned down. Yeah. Or, or, or no, you don't. Yeah. Right. That's another common thing. No, you're not hungry. You're just saying that mm-hmm. you want attention. Like, I mean, there's the, the mind games. And I wrote these down a little while ago. I, I don't know where they are, but like the things that we say to kids that we don't even realize how damning they are. Yes. And those become traumas because the child then feels very misunderstood. And yes. it's very confusing because inside of their bodies, they feel hungry. Yes. And yet they're getting this message that, no, that's not hunger. Well, then what is it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, because they're not getting that that message of what it is instead. And so it creates this dynamic in the relationship where all of a sudden they feel very alone, Mm -hmm. even though they're still surrounded by their family, they feel very alone. And that by itself for a young child is very traumatizing. Terrifying. Terrifying. Like Mm -hmm. they know that they can't be alone. They know that they're not smart enough, big enough, independent enough to do life by themselves. And so they, they have to, 
conform to the messages that are being provided around them in order to stay having their needs met. But in by doing that, they're having to shut down their own messages coming from their body. Very traumatizing. A hundred percent. And the thing that's so interesting with humans because of this higher brain is we can deke ourselves out, if you know that term. Like we can we can then play the game in our own mind of well, I guess I'm not hungry. Or right. or I'm mad because they're not letting me have what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, which seems ridiculous if it's something like going to the washroom, but we will then slowly over time with these we will call I, I call them micro traumas. Yes. That are just what I also will call societal decencies, you know, like, no, you can't do that. Um, we slowly shut down. We show, slowly become what we would call functionally frozen. I feel that when I started seeing that freeze in myself, uh, that I was actually accepting of it, even though it was a really hard truth. But I feel like when I'm hit in the face with something, like it was literally a slap in the face, it's just a wake up call. And I've always kind of been on a, a strange little winding health journey in my own way. And I knew that this was something that I didn't want to live my life in the freeze. And, you know, it was a very small amount of time that I really felt myself kind of like flatlined, basically. Um, And I'm just such an energetic person and that's who I want to be. So it was really easy for me to accept where I was and saying that this isn't okay. This isn't acceptable to me. What can I do about it? And thankfully my answer was right there. (laughs) Recognizing that we have a freeze response can definitely feel like a slap in the face and a wake up call. Listening to Kelsey's story made me go down my own memory lane. I don't know if it did that for you too, but just recognizing when I first started learning that I had this freeze response and knew that this is not how I wanted to live the rest of my life. In this next section, we are going to look at when did we start numbing our feelings? How would that have started? What is the root cause of when we would have started numbing what we are feeling? more common um, things that we don't even remember as adult humans that often occurs in so many instances. And it's starting to become a little more known, but it's um, the whole cry it out situation. Yes. So when a child is Thank an infant, well, when a human is an infant, mm-hmm. and there was this thinking back in the day that you're not going to strengthen and smarten up and create a strong human if you soothe a baby when it cries Mm -hmm. and there's still massive groups of people that are advocating for crying it out which Mm -hmm. I'm still surprised it goes back to what we said at the very beginning why can't we just make one rule like not okay right (laughs) Right. not okay but no but that just there hasn't been enough push but if you think about an infant they are completely dependent on the parent Mm -hmm. they're not they're not functional in a social situation. You know, they're just not there. They can't feed themselves. They know they're feeling something, but they right. can't wipe themselves. They're not, they're not living in the, the jungle where, you know, yes, you do just go and it goes onto the earth and everything's great. 
but they're, and they don't have the words yet to explain what they're even feeling. Exactly. So the cries come, and when you get to know babies, um, the cries are different. Just like an animal who barks and whines, there's a difference between a dog that is kind of not feeling well versus a dog mm-hmm. that has been left alone and abandoned in a house. I know that because there's one next door, and it happens all the time, and you know when the owner has just left it, right? terrible and so if you think about that baby that infant they're crying and then they're left in a room in our crib in the dark to sleep and they're wailing it sends out the signal first of all i'm asking for something i'm trying to communicate yeah. no one's coming i don't know how to deal with this body thing that i'm feeling because at that age um a, a human doesn't have the ability to self-regulate fully there are little bits like the digestion works again granted it's a full-term healthy child neurologically sound their digestion works their bladder works their immune system is learning how to work um all that their motor systems are still pretty clumsy at that age and they can't take care of themselves they cry because they need help no one comes over time that crying just starts to stop and that is the start of what we because it's not shock, right? They're still functional, but they're they're numbing what they're feeling. So with the crying, my mom always said, you know, and like my grand, I was with my grandma a lot too when my mom was doing stuff, and she loved to exercise my lungs with my crying as back in the day is what they believed that it was good for us to cry it out. Um, And so I know that as a baby, I did go into freeze because my crying was not attended to my needs were not met, um, whatever they may have been. And my mom learned from my grandma. So that's what I think she did with me. And knowing that my mom's system obviously couldn't tolerate much and that she likes to hide away from connection. And I saw that later on in her life where, you know, besides myself and my daughter, she didn't really interact with many people. She was kind of a hermit. And I think that's kind of how she treated, you know, me. If I was too much for her, um, she would retreat and isolate and again, I've thankfully learned so much compassion for her, um, especially going through it myself. There are definitely those moments where I'm like, I just need to be by myself. But knowing that now with the attachment piece, um, just how much it, it really did affect me. And um, I feel so much compassion for my baby self, too. And knowing how much I really needed. I'm a highly sensitive person. And so I know that I was probably quite a bit uh, taking a lot of energy because I needed that connection. And unfortunately, it, it wasn't there for me as much as I needed. When I was a teenager, I think is when I really felt after the the jump of being a baby, when I felt that, yeah, my needs were not met. I didn't learn what I think I needed to learn about becoming a woman and everything was kind of taboo and I wasn't able to really explore. And it showed in my lack of relationships, you know, everyone started dating and whatnot. And I, I did not believe in myself that I could have like, that I was good enough. And um, I blushed a lot. I felt that shame that, you know, I can't do this. It was basically the, 
the line that ran in my mind all the time. And I even feel it now in my marriage that, okay, you know, I, this was before I did all this work and sometimes it's, it's still coming up and at least now I can recognize it and kind of take that responsibility of, okay, what can I do about it now? Luckily my aunt, my mom's sister was all, she always says be large and in charge. And so when I have my moments, I, I channel her and say, okay, Kelsey, be large and in charge. <laughs> Um, because she saw that in me. And I'm so thankful that I had her to really lift me up and, you know, be my cheerleader for believing in myself. And still to this day, she shot me a text yesterday. That's just, it's just so nice to hear from her and having that cheerleader that, you know, you are amazing. You can do whatever you want. And um, she was always that voice for me. I listened to Kelsey's story. I'm reminded of how wonderful it is to be able to understand ourselves on a deeper level, to be able to look back at our childhood like Kelsey. For some of us, we can see it was mostly okay, but now we have these new eyes, new eyes to be able to see when as a baby, we would have started needing to numb just to survive our daily life and how that has affected us for the rest of our lives. Patterns of relationships, shutting down, coping mechanisms to avoid feeling. And we just haven't seen or understood why we do what we do until now. The way we are raised truly affects who we are to this day. This last section with Irene, we're going to talk about the continuum theory. I'm so excited to bring this to you. And then Kelsey will share how this has changed her parenting with her children and how she is doing today. Yeah, it wires in. And I mean, every, every child is going to be a little different, you know, depending again, how, how is that parent? It doesn't have to just be a parent, it could be a nanny, it could be a caregiver, whatever, grandma, grandpa, but how is that caregiver? What's the energy also? Like, are they going in to say, stop crying or are they just mm-hmm. laugh? Mm-hmm. You know, again, the, the bear analogy is so interesting because it just wouldn't happen. It would, that would right. never happen in the animal kingdom. And so then we have all these babies, and I'm, of course, generalizing, that let's just say are being left to not be comforted when they need something. And then um, how that adult deals with their own discomfort will determine how well they deal with that. And so yeah. then you have this infant wake up or, or, you know, let's say they go quiet and then they wake up and they're, they're whimpering and then, you know, they come. Chances are that little one, and I'm kind of making a hypothetical here, but their physiology is going to be tense. Mm-hmm. Their physiology is going to be, um, not that nice, slow, mushy baby feel. There's going to be a, a startle, a strain. And this is how we start mm-hmm. to have our internal workings go off things like colic you know right. when it's this problem it's really a dysregulation of the nervous system yes it's quite simple when you go into um, countries and tribes where mm-hmm. babies are sleeping with the whole family not just the mother all on, on all on the ground or they're always with mama whenever there's a whimper there's feeding there's these kids don't have these troubles there's a great right. um, do you know the continuum continuum concept Jean Leadloff. Mm-hmm. so I mean look into her work she talks about you go to these 
tribes in Africa and in South America, no babies have colic, no children have trouble sleeping, no children have trouble eating, they don't give a fuss. And it's because of that early connection yes. and care exactly the same way you would give a bear cub. Now, I know that crying means something, that they need something, or it's not like a fundamental diaper change. Now we're in the toddler stages, so it means something totally different. And just tracking, and that it usually means connection, or that I need help feeling safe, or I just need reassurance that you love me and that you're here for me. Once I started the 21-day journey, I felt myself coming back more into the sympathetic, which thankfully Dr. Amy was explaining that this may happen. (laughs) And so I wasn't afraid of it. And, you know, since I lived, I think, most of my life in the sympathetic, it was comfortable for me and something that I knew. And just being able to continue the exercises was able to settle my system, even for just a few moments. And just feeling every time I did something, even for, again, like maybe a few minutes, just feeling peace. Like I was really searching for that sense of peace. And I took whatever I could have. And I knew that these tools were the, the things to, to bring that peace um, in whatever way they could be. And I would just started regaining my life back and starting to to be that mom, that present mom, like being present is such a a huge value to me. I saw my mom not being present in her life, not really being present for me. And so that's something that I definitely want for my kids, but also just for myself, because um, I always wanted that for her. And just being able to to have the tools to bring that sense Uh, for whatever amount of time it does. And now it's for longer stretches of time, which is awesome. And it's only been about a year and a half since I started this journey. So I still consider myself a newbie in it and still, you know, a long way to go, but it's been such a cool way and easy. It really is easy to bring these tools into my life. And yeah, I thought it would be really hard, like a hard journey, but it has thankfully not been. And it's really brought me a sense of purpose too. I hope that one day you're going to be able to meet Kelsey in person. She brings so much joy and light. And I want you to experience that knowing her background now and doing this type of trauma work. I so resonate with her when she says that it has brought her a sense of purpose and inner peace. Later, I hope to find somewhere, some house to share the rest of her story with you. When at age 22, she was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. She did not understand why at the time. And yet now with the understanding and tools, she has gained in the biology of trauma modules, where we learn that connection between early life freeze response and autoimmunity. She's had the tools to get her numbers down. This concludes this part one episode with Irene Lyon, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.